What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Full 90 Podcast. Today, our guest is Audrey Baldwin. She joins the show to talk about her journey through football. Uh, we start off in her youth. Uh, she didn't really take football seriously until like her junior year in high school. Uh, she also said she never had any ambitions or dreams to even play professionally. Um, she really wasn't even thinking too much about university. Uh, then after university, it kind of came to the point where she decided she didn't want to stop playing football and uh, that turned into a professional career. So fast forward uh, nine years later, Audrey's just retired recently. Um, she played in eight different countries with 12 or 13 different teams. Uh, in very different scenarios across the board. So it was a very interesting episode. Audrey talks about being part of a match-fixing scandal, uh, being left in the cold in France by her team, uh, to, yeah, just having contracts solely for the Champions League. So it was a very interesting episode. Audrey has a lot of insight, a lot of stories to share, and uh, I hope you enjoy this one. Uh, If you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review and uh, pass this along to a friend, teammate, colleague, uh, or an aspiring footballer. Without any further ado, here is Audrey and I. Good. All right. Uh, what's up, everyone? And welcome back. Today we have Audrey Baldwin with us. Audrey, if you just want to say hello. Hello. <laughs> All right, well, we'll start you off with a little bit of an introduction. So uh, give us uh, your name, where you're from. Uh, we'll say where you most recently played. And uh, we'll go with how long of a career you've had. Okay. Well, I'm Audrey Baldwin. Um, I'm originally from Maryland, but I live in California now. Um, I have played professionally since 2014, and I most recently just played with Haukau in Iceland, um, in Lenkedilden, and that was for the last like year and a half I was with them. Okay. Oh, what position are you? I'm a goalkeeper. Okay. Yeah. So that'll explain <laughs> a lot of where we're about to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, okay. So first question, uh, who's the best player you've played with or against in your career? I think that question is so tough because I had like two really good teams, one in Denmark and one in France, and they Mm -hmm. both were like elite of elite. I think that maybe one of the more well-known players, like well-rounded and stuff would be Nadia Nadim. I think a lot of people have been hearing about her lately. So, I mean, her headers were like so deadly when like playing with her, like even during trainings and stuff, like she was just so deadly in that way. But, um, I would say the best goalkeeper that I trained with to learn the most from though was like Steph LeBay when I was with the Spirit and she taught me more of like how to be a well-rounded goalkeeper and like mentally as well. Um, So I would say she was also the best that like I trained with. Okay. I always think it's just interesting even how people approach answering that question. Um, Yeah. But yeah, of course, having played with so many players it's it's more just like who's stuck in your mind basically you know mm-hmm. yeah um, and i'll be okay, honest like the... it's really hard for me to remember like players i played against <laughs> yeah, like i don't know fair. why i just it's really hard for me to remember people i played against because i just approach the game the same way every time 
I do have a, a little bit of a theory, but you know, maybe it's just because because you played so many, you played in so many different leagues across oh, different yeah. countries, and and of course, you know, yeah. I mean, it's easy to yeah, every player is different. It's easy to remember. Yeah, of course, of course. So I think that's more than fair to not remember everybody. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, and then the the second question is, we'll just kind of have you describe yourself as a player. As a player, I definitely have changed over the years, obviously. But like most recently, I would say I've been just a calm presence or like a leader. And I say calm, not in the sense of like I don't yell or anything, because obviously that's part of my job. I just mean I, I guess more calm, consistent. Like I keep the same mentality throughout every situation, whether it's high pressure or like a lower state type thing. Um, so that's where I really grounded myself in was that being like a leader on the field um, and being a consistent energy uh, throughout games, practices, everything. Um, and I think that that's the best way to describe how I ended my career with that. <laughs> okay, then I'll just go ahead and ask how you started your career then. Yeah, I would say I was very aggressive. I was a very okay. aggressive player, teammate, um, even throughout college and stuff, I had to really learn how to speak to my teammates. Like, cause to me, it would come across one way. Like, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm just yelling to you. But if you hear it back or you hear it from another perspective, I sounded like a, a very aggressive, aggressive teammate. Um, okay. either way it was passionate, I guess would be a good way to describe the entire career. Now that I'm thinking about it, like okay. just a passionate player that I put everything I have into the game. Okay. I can respect that. Yeah. Um, so now we'll kind of, we'll talk a little bit about your, your upbringing in football, kind of your youth. Uh, so you said you grew up in Maryland. Um, you know, how long, when did you start playing soccer and can you kind of lead us up through a little bit through like youth high school, kind of like right up to the start of college? Yeah. Um, I started playing when I was five. So soccer was always like my sport. Um, I really didn't take it seriously until maybe the end of high school. So I was on like the very low level, just chill club travel teams. Um, always a goalkeeper, was never a field player. I don't know if that was just because I didn't like running. I know that's like the cliche, <laughs> but like I actually, that might actually be why I did it. But also there's just something in goalkeepers. Um, and then into college, we didn't have like ECNL and stuff. We had um, like college showcase teams. Yeah. And so I made a college showcase team where you just go and play certain tournaments and just hope that you get picked up that way. Um, mm -hmm. And that was when like I also just started like personal, like private goalkeeper training. Um, freshman year of high school, I started that. And that's when I started taking a little bit more seriously. Still didn't like running. Um, so definitely was still just playing for that fun. I didn't even know that I was going to play in college, let alone professionally. That wasn't ever something in my mind. So I know like a lot of players now will like say that they did like, like all these like national teams or ODP or like ECNL, all that kind of stuff. I didn't do any of that. I really, until high school, I don't even think I could catch the ball in the air until like my sophomore year of high school. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So even 
even if you kind of say maybe it wasn't something you thought about, like as maybe we'll say realistic, like was it ever, you know, was it a dream as a kid or you were just kind of enjoying the moment playing? Yeah, I just liked playing. I really, I, and I think that that actually contributed to me not burning out super early. I have a lot of friends that were really good when they were in high school and I didn't make those teams. Like I tried out and because they were my friends and I never made any of the teams and I, but they all like burnt out by even college or the end of college or anything like that. And so I think that has a lot to do with why I genuinely just loved the game moving forward and was willing to just follow it and not take it so seriously until later. Interesting. Okay. I can kind of relate to that. Honestly, I didn't take it super serious up until, you know, of course I was a competitor as well. So like when you're in the moment, you always want to win and play and everything, right. but it wasn't like a, an all consuming thing for me up until like junior or senior year of high school. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, so when did, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask like, where you were from, like, did they take high school seriously or was it more? Club? Yeah. No, I mean, we took high school seriously as well. Yeah, I kind of I transferred high school to a more like serious one. So yeah, that's how we were too. I know that's not like at least in California right now. So that's why I talk about like high school. I started taking it seriously. It's the same thing for you, like because high school was serious. If you didn't make your high school team, you were trash. Like, like that was the best of the best to make your high school team and compete. But like here, that's not how it is. At least now, it's like changing a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the landscape has changed. Yeah, for sure. So when did college become like a possibility and when did the, and how did that process go for you? Was it a tough one or once you decided to play, it was straightforward or what? So I, I had a little bit of a tough decision when I was going, trying to decide if I was going to play in college and stuff, because I also played rugby and I really enjoyed that. And obviously rugby, at least it's barely is now, but it definitely wasn't like a paid sport for girls like through college and stuff um but I think the biggest transition that I had like in my mind my goalkeeper coach Jason Muffaletto he was my goalkeeper coach for 12 years like through college everything he was the coach like the head coach for the community college I ended up going to um and he was helping me with my decisions and stuff so I was doing everything I was supposed to like I did the tours and went to like stayed overnight and was like scouting and stuff like that. And I mean, I was talking to like big schools like Clemson and stuff, but of course, like you're not going to play, especially like when you're not taking it that seriously. Um, so I knew I'd be sitting the bench. Um, and so I was like, well, I don't really care that much anyway. So like, why would I go through something and just sit the bench? And then, so I was exploring like D3 options that way I could continue playing rugby um, and soccer at the same time. And like, I was about to sign at a place to play rugby and soccer. I was about to go to Widener university and I was so close. And my goalkeeper coach was like, don't do it. Just come here for two years. We'll get you somewhere better. Like you, you're too good to be D3. Like, don't do it. And I just trusted him with everything I had. So I was like, okay, fine. So then that's how I ended up going to Harvard community college in Maryland. Cause of him and it's a community college so only two years right yeah exactly okay so what what was the next step after that well we had a really really good two years like my sophomore year we ended up going to national championship um and we finished 
fourth in the nation for JUCOs, which is actually insane because I don't know if you know about this, but like there's some community colleges out there that are better than universities like Tyler, Texas. They bring in like foreigners and like they're legit. And we were not like that. We we were all local kids that didn't go anywhere else. Um, So when we went and played there, I showed really well, actually. And that's how I got recruited to go to Arkansas State University. Um, And again, I had like offers to go to like Miami, which would have been really cool. But again, would have been sitting the bench. So especially as a junior transfer, they're like, yeah, we'd love to, but we have two ahead of you. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't. That's, I want to play. Like, it would be cool to go to the U and everything, but, like, I wouldn't have played. So, went to Arkansas State, had a terrible time there. I loved the school, the team. I loved the girls themselves. Like, we were all great friends, and I still stay in touch with them. But our coach, coaches, our coaching staff was not the best. And there was eight of us that ended up leaving that year. Um, because we just couldn't, no one wanted to stay and, and be with him. Um, a few of the freshmen and stuff stuck it out, but not, not a lot of us. (laughs) So I ended up, um, transferring with a teammate from Texas or from Arkansas that we both went to Texas Corpus Christi. So she had already like knew that she was going to leave from Arkansas signed with this school and I was like, well, I'll see if they want a goalkeeper. And, um, they were like, yeah, you can come in and compete for a spot. Um, and I was like, okay. And I went in and I had another, I just had an amazing, amazing year. Ended up nationally ranked for D1 keepers, like at like number seven or something. Like it was also a first year program, mind you. So I had a lot to do. So it was a little bit easier to show off (laughs) what, I was capable of because we were getting pretty crushed that whole year, but it was good for me. Wow. Okay. So Arkansas state was also division one, correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Got you. And then, um, in my research, you also played at university of Western. Is that, I, I just got my master's there. I didn't play. Oh yeah. Okay. So I just got my master's there. Okay. Got you. So once you finished at Corpus Christi, um, were you, did you know you wanted to play uh, professionally at this point or was that still like not really in your mind? I only knew at the end of the year and it really hit me that senior day um, when I was like, I'm not done playing. Like, I don't want to be done. And of course, I don't even know if there were the leagues like in the summer for college players at that time I'm not really sure so there was like nothing for me to do really besides like well maybe go professional and I knew um Shantae who is also in Iceland we're from we're both from Maryland and we both trained together and she was playing professionally in Russia I think at that time and so I had just started talking to her and I was like okay how do you do this like I think I want to do it so she put me in touch with her agent at the time Um, and he didn't sign me, but he was like, I'll help you out. Um, you can totally go do it. Like you can totally do it. We just, you just need to give me some time. Um, and I'll help you to get started, blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of how it got in my mind. So I knew, okay, I need to keep training. So like all during spring semester, I kept training. I knew I wanted to play. 
professionally at that point and I gave myself like a timeline. I was like, all right, you have two years to really dedicate yourself to this and try and make it happen. And if it doesn't happen in that two years, like you need to move on. Um, so I gave myself the two years and within a year I ended up meeting, there was a coach in Maryland, um, just like a friend and he's from Portugal. So he was like cousins with Nani from Portugal. So he like knew everyone. (laughs) And so he's like, all right, I got you on this team. Like you can stay with my mom, everything, but I had to pay my way because Portugal wasn't professional for women at that time. Um, this was end of 2014. So I had to pay my rent. I had to pay my tickets. I had to do everything. And, but like, once I got over there, I played for Os Belenenses and then moved from there to, um, so it's football Benfica, but it's not like the Benfica that everyone knows. It's like a smaller one. Um, the nickname is Fofo for anyone that actually does know Portuguese teams. Um, and they had like really good play. It was like all their national team girls were on this, the team at this time, pretty much. So it was really cool. And it was like my first exposure to any other type of style, um, what it's like to live on your own. Like I had to take a bus for two hours to get to training and I wouldn't get home until like 2 a.m. And yeah, it was it was crazy. I learned Portuguese really fast because I had to. Um, yeah. So it was like, it was definitely an experience, <laughs> but it was okay. really good to start. And then once I made it over into Europe, then my name started spreading and it was much easier to get signed after that. Yeah. Okay. So um, just to clarify a few points. So it wasn't professional when you went Correct. and you were living at right. what, at this guy's house with his mom. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't okay. even there. Then, I was just with his mom and his dad. Yeah. Okay. Lisbon. And so you're paying them a little bit of rent. <laughs> mm-hmm how we'll kind of get into more in the second part but how did you afford to do this i had just been saving that whole year i was working saving and i because i knew it was going to probably be an expense like i said like i was dedicating myself to it so all i had to do up until that point was work and train so i just used my savings and i mean it ended up being obviously it's cheaper to live in cities like that like in lisbon so Mm -hmm. i think like for rent i was paying like 350 bucks a month. Okay. Um, so it wasn't terrible. And like I said, I just kind of like had savings built up. So just use yeah. that for as long as I need I'm it. I'm just always curious about that. Obviously, if you're not getting paid, um, you know, it's, it does make it a lot tougher, especially yeah. if you, you seem like you were well informed and well prepared uh, for the situation. But you know, it's good for people to know that. Yeah, for sure. Always have a savings built up. <laughs> so um, how long were you? Okay, I'm gonna mess this up. But it was Ostabello was the first one. First club? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, how long were you there before you went to Fofo? I so I was with Valenessis for two months, okay. and then they were like having issues with like signing and stuff, and Nate, like word had gotten out that I was there, so Fofo invited me to come out and I kind of like did it behind Belenessis's back and like okay. I told him I was sick one day and I couldn't come to training and I went to the other training. Okay. Um, I can say this now because they also found out about it. I got in trouble like they I w- ended up coming back to practice and he was like, "How dare you?" Well, he got really mad at me. 
Um, I think we're fine now. I think we've talked since then. Like we're good, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the smartest decision. But I wasn't signed to any team, so I yeah. technically could do whatever I wanted. Um, it was their problem. They weren't signing me yet. They hadn't given me the official paperwork. So when I got invited, I just went there, and then I was there for about two months. Came back for Christmas. Um, so I was in Portugal for a total of four months. And then when I came back for Christmas was when I started getting offers professionally. Like, okay. and I was like, okay, this is a no brainer then. Like, yeah. I am just not going back to Portugal. Okay. So where was your first professional contract then? That was Iceland. And I played for okay. Kepovic. Okay. Um, yep. And another time that we were just getting annihilated, but it was great for me. I showed really, really well. Um, I don't know, like, I don't know how in depth you want to get, but like, I ended up tearing my knee that season oh, wow. and was still playing, um, because they told me that it, unless I needed surgery that like I needed to keep playing. I so, yeah. And so <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. So I just kept playing and I mean, it was getting really bad, but I was showing really, really, I literally just played games and then like didn't walk for a week and then I'd play a game and then didn't walk for a week. I didn't train at all, really, unless I was sitting down. And midway through that season, I got an offer to go play in Denmark um, for Fortuna Euring. Okay. And this is like, this is one of the best teams I played with. Yeah. And top they, they were program and league. Yeah. Yeah. They were, and they still are, but like at this time, they were elite, elite. That's where like Nadia Nadim was. Like, there's like all these names on there that if you go through now, like they have amazing careers and we had like 11 countries represented there. And that was like fully professional. We, we all stayed in like the same houses. There was like two big houses with a lot of us and, or a lot of like our, our players. And then I had a roommate and we were the only separate apartment really besides um, Tamiris, who is still on the Brazilian national team. Um, she's insane. She's number six, I think in the, defense so she's so good so she was there as well um we would have individual sessions in the morning uh video all the time champions league like all the things this was it and when i got the offer like i knew i needed to go so i was pushing through the injury obviously but yeah. i had to take full advantage um but that was another thing was that on any time i was on a better team i did not get paid as much so like really? Yeah. So in Denmark, I think I only got 600 euros a month. Was that before or after tax? After taxes. Okay. But it kind of like came like a balance, right? Because like obviously the level's so good. So they're always giving us like great training. They're always like providing everything for us, physio, everything. And then we'd always have meals at the club. So there was a lot of like meals that we didn't have to pay for they yeah. paid for our first grocery haul like it was and they gave us a bike i mean you didn't really need a car so they just gave no. you a bike to get to and from but biking around denmark honestly is one of the most nostalgic like memories i have yeah it's so cool it's actually like i actually loved it even in the rain or anything like yeah. it was just like that's just what you do and any weather you had you biked I yeah, loved it. I exactly. miss biking around Copenhagen so much. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like it's so, and that's the thing too, is like you give up a higher salary too, for like just good experience. Mm -hmm. Like it was just, 
it was so amazing. And like I said, you were always training anyway. You really didn't do anything extra. So it's not like you had a ton of expenses because it was so professional that all you did was train. You yeah. didn't really have much time to go do other things. Okay. So when you – was Kevlovic in Pepsi at the time, in the top league? No. They were in the okay. first, yeah. In the first division. Okay. So yeah. how how – I mean, you must have been playing really well. Like, how did you get spotted by Hyoring? I was, yeah, I was playing really well. Um, but I also had met the coaches previously at the coaching convention they have in the States. Um, okay. I had met them randomly. And, like, I had already signed to Keflavik at this time, I think. Like, so we really didn't talk much about oh, like, I want to come play for you, blah, blah, blah. It was just like, we met, we stayed in touch. And then they started following me and seeing how well I was doing. And then they were like, "Our their goalkeeper got injured, like, last minute. And so mm-hmm. they were like, all right, we know exactly who to call. And that's how, how it started. Wow. Okay, so did you have to cancel your contract with Keflavik? Like, how did that, how did that yeah. go? Because obviously it sounds like they were kind of pushing you to play because they needed you. So yeah. That did not go smoothly. They were pretty mad. Um, in the end, because they were such good people, like I just think a lot of Icelandic people, they're just really good people like at heart. And so they understood that this was a huge chance for me and this is why I was there in the first place was to get a bigger chance. Um, but they were just very upset because I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure I was their first foreigner at this club. And I'm like 99% sure I was the first foreigner on the women's side. So they were taking a big chance, like to try and grow the women's side. And then I came in and I did this and I was like, it was a lot of headache, like with housing and everything, even when I first got there. So Mm -hmm. they went through a lot. And then when I told them like, but they just all, I mean, they all knew that they had to let me go. It was like. And there was nothing in my contract that said that I would need to pay um, if I wanted or to leave. There was the club wanted to buy you. Right. There was yeah. nothing in my contract that said any of that. So really, it was just mutual agreement, and they were nice enough, I guess, to let me go. Yeah. So did you have an agent at this point, or were you navigating this yourself? I was navigating it myself, um, but with the help of the agent that I had been speaking with. So like I wasn't signed to him, so he didn't really get a portion of anything. Um, He was just Just helping me. Yeah. I think, I can't remember exactly, but I think I ended up signing with him when I decided, maybe I was signed with him. He didn't really, I mean, he didn't take much from me this the first year I was working with him or anything. Like he wasn't like killing me or anything. So I can't really remember. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So did you sign in Denmark for just a, a year then, or a season? Yeah, I just signed for the rest of that season. Um, and then they actually ended up bringing in, towards the end of Champions League, or like towards the end of like Champions League in the fall, they ended mm-hmm. up bringing in Aubrey Bledsoe from the States. Um, okay. She plays for the Spirit now, but she was with... Orlando Pride at the time and she was behind Ashlyn Harris so they brought her in I think it was like the second Champions League game or something like that and it was like so devastating 
I was like so dumb. But I also understood because at the time too, I could barely kick with my left leg because of my yeah. knee. I like couldn't, I would definitely was not looking back now. I understand. Um, but at the time I was doing really well in the league. Like I was doing great. So we didn't understand why he was bringing someone in, but looking at it now, it's like, yeah, physically, I don't know that yeah. I could have made it all the way through champions league in the first place. Like yeah. my knee was not okay. Did she come over on loan or I'm, um, they just bring her in? I don't know. I don't know. I think okay. she was probably on loan. Um, yeah. Because I don't think the pride would give up a goalkeeper like that. Yeah. That's just um, what I was asking. Because obviously if they're bringing her in on loan, they, there's probably some understanding with Orlando that she will be getting minutes and stuff. Yeah, so exactly. I was just curious. Yeah. Okay. So you finish up the, the year, the season in Denmark. What was the, what was next? After that. So that was, I, I'm not coming <laughs> back to Iceland. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much you'll see a trend. I keep coming back to Iceland. I think part of it was because I always wanted something to prove. Ison never really liked me in terms of like how I played. Like there was always doubters in there and I was like, screw it, mm -hmm. I'm going back. Um, because I did well. Like I always proved it wrong. Like I always did well. So I went and played for Fivke in 2016. Okay. Um, and that was another great year. Um, and I, since I know you like to talk about like agents and finances and stuff like that, that was one of the best contracts that I've ever had. Um, okay. I was making a lot of money. And on top of it, I had a different agent at this time um, who I found out <laughs> was the most expensive agent that Filker has ever paid, uh, men's wow. or women's. Wow. So they were paying a lot for me. They had a sponsor that bought an apartment because they wanted me so bad. Um, that was right next to the field. And like, it was a nice apartment, fully furnished, okay. like everything I could want. Um, they did a lot for me. And I think that I, I held up my end of the bargain by the end of the season. Um, I had a really great season. I kept them in the league. Um, in the end, like it came down to our like last game or something that year and we needed a draw and I kept it at a shutout zero zero. And so like, I, <laughs> I, I earned it. I earned it, but earned yeah, it. that was you one of the best the contracts money. I ever had. Okay. What was that in the first league? Yeah, that was Pepsi. That was Pepsi. Division. Okay. And what year was this? 2016. Okay. Yeah. You said that. Okay. Yeah. So you signed there for just a year. Yep. They wanted okay. me to sign longer, but yeah. in my mind, I was like, I'm never coming back to Iceland. Jokes on me. But <laughs> yeah. alert, she comes right. back to Iceland. <laughs> I was like, I'm never coming back to Iceland. This is terrible. I'm not signing for more. And yeah. for those keeping track, we're at two clubs in Iceland. <laughs> yeah. uh, stay tuned. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So what was next? Yeah. So after that, again, because I did so well and I had this agent, I ended up getting to France in 2017. Um, and that was, it was a team called Juvc. They're not called that anymore. Now they're called Paris FC. Um, okay. and I found all of this out later. It was like, that was always their plan to merge with this men's team. Juvc was just the women's side at the time. Um, and it was actually very controversial that they brought me in. 
um, because they didn't understand why they were bringing, I was going to be the third keeper. So they didn't understand, oh. like in the news and everything. This was my first time, I think, being exposed to like real media about football in Europe. Like Iceland has it, but like it's because it's Iceland, like everyone knows everything. Yeah. But like in France, it was everywhere of questioning why they signed me. Um, and actually, when I first got there, it was technically on a trial, but they knew they were going to sign me. So I was like, okay, it's just like kind of like, so I had to pay my flight. Um, and then if I make the team, they reimburse me the flight. Well, I made the team, but like when I had the tryouts, it was like literally the next day I was so jet lagged, but they were so amazing. They brought me that day to like a cryo place and like put me through all this recovery stuff. It was amazing because they knew that I needed to play right away. So they're like, they, it was so cool. It was very professional. And then I went okay. through all my medical tests and everything. Um, which is the first time I really had to do that where they actually put like the heart rate monitor, like they check your heart, they check your lungs, like they check everything. Then they gave me the recovery stuff. Um, and then the next day I had to do the tryout. And when I was in the tryout, media was there and everyone was watching me and it was crazy. And that was, I was like, I'm so jet lagged. I'm so tired. And these people are watching me like, Oh my, I was so nervous. Um, but I did well and they ended up wanting to sign me. Like we said, like I, we kind of knew that that was going to happen, but it was more of like technicalities, I think. Um, and then that's when the articles started flooding out of like, why are you guys signing a, a foreign goalkeeper? We need a, I think, we, I think they needed a striker at the time. So they're like, we should get a striker. Like, why are you getting another goalkeeper? Because the two goalkeepers ahead of me were both um, ex-national team keepers. So they were both really, really good. Um, one ended up going to Man City and then, um, the other ended up retiring. So that's why they were bringing me in. Like they knew that this girl was leaving. I think maybe she went to a different French team, but like a lower French team. Yeah. Um, step back. Yeah. yeah. And so obviously the club knew that that's why they were bringing me in. They wanted to sign me for two years again, knowing that they were going to make this transfer. But at the time I had no idea. Um, but when it came to contract for that, so I had to sign, there's like, there's obviously a minimum in countries, especially like that. There's a minimum that a player can make. And if you sign a federation contract, you have to make that minimum because the federation's checking on you that you're making that minimum. Well, they didn't want to pay that minimum. So I didn't sign a federation contract. I signed like just a club contract. And so I was making 700 euros after taxes there, which in Paris is not a lot. That's like, yeah. I like got housing and stuff, but I didn't get a car, um, which ended up really hurting me in the end because I got injured um, yeah. and I couldn't make it to practices and I couldn't like, it was, it was pretty bad. But um, yeah. yeah, the level though was insane. Like I've never been that good in my life. Cause you have to get better when you're around better players. Yeah. I could catch anything, anything <laughs> because I would get ringed out if I didn't catch the ball, like always. And yeah. so like, I was so good, so good. But then because you're supposed to catch everything, I ended up dislocating both of my fingers, like in the middle, because I went to go okay. catch a ball that you probably shouldn't try and catch if you were like in a game or something. And 
I like guess I had my hands wrong and yeah, just popped right out. So dealing with that in France and also them just being like pretty mean to Americans. I didn't really speak French and plus everyone in like everyone didn't understand why I was there. Um, all this stuff combined and I just actually ended up having a miserable time. So I left after I think four or five months. So that yeah, was fun. Um, yeah, if there's something we know, it's that the French, the French love, uh, to critique. So, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, uh, I ended up getting apologies actually from some of the teammates later when I decided to leave, um, of them being like, yeah, we could have been much better to you and like helped you out more. Um, some of them were really, really great to me. Like the girl I lived with, um, who was also an amazing player, uh, Kathy, she's on the French national team. She's like one of their best players, um, Danny. So she, I lived with her and then her best or one of her best friends, I think at the time, I think still, but Isa too, she's now at, um, Manchester United, but she was also with the French national team and she still plays with them. Those two were so nice to me. They like would bring me out for my birthday and like all the, their little friend group really embraced me and like took me like just to do things and, so that was really nice, but other than that, it was pretty hard. Um, yeah. And then when I decided to leave, I went home and I started, that's when I started training with the Washington Spirit and playing with them, um, which again was so amazing. Like I, I loved my experience. I know that's different for other yeah. people when they go to like NWSL, but I loved it there. Um, but I wasn't going to play in games. Yeah. Like I was behind two or three other keepers at that point. I want to I wanna jump in a little bit and kind yeah. of backtrack and talk about France. Um, yeah. Also with like your current, um, I don't, I don't know what to call it. I guess you're, you're a mental coach. Yeah. Is that, yeah. yeah. So what was that? How much did you know about like mentality while you were in France and like, how much did you really learn in this, in this five months about yourself and about like what was necessary to, to live this lifestyle? Yeah. At that point, I hadn't really built up a lot of the skills that I have now. So that was a critical point, I think for me, because first going in, I had never felt so inadequate in my life, like showing up to that team and I didn't like like we talked about like I didn't grow up with like all these elite players or anything like that like I've just been lucky enough to work my way into things and mm -hmm. um so when I got there I remember just feeling like I was so bad because like they, they loved to critique so I was always getting yelled at I was always get, like even if they were just screaming at me in French I'm like I don't know what you're saying like I have no idea what's going on so I really picked up a lot of like just cues of like how to really tap in to trainings really be like physically and mentally ready for trainings um, at all times like I had to train after games sometimes which would be like 10 30 at night by the time Oof people would get off the field, but I also had to be there the entire time. So paying attention to the entire game and like doing all this stuff. And then I would go warm up um, right before the end of the game. And then I'd go out on the field and I would have a training. And like, so it's just like being able to turn your mind on super quick, no matter what. 
um, was like really big at that time for me. Um, and I did that by really just dedicating myself all day, every day to it, like mentally just being ready. Um, I had to, well, like I, I did a lot of research around, like I started reading the book Relentless at that point, um, by Tim Grover, which really served me at that time. If you ask me now, I wouldn't tell people to read it, but because it's a, a very like end all be all type of thing of like, if you don't give your hundred percent effort, you're going to fail. And so like, yeah, this is Michael Kathy, Jordan's trainer who yeah. is very, you know, matches Michael's intensity. So. Yeah. Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, like, yeah. all, like that type of mentality of like mama mentality, like all in all yeah. the time. If you're not up at 4am, what are you doing? Like you're wasting time. So I was reading that book and adapted that mentality, which really helped at that level. You need that at that level. But at the same time, I was paying for a gym membership, writing my own gym plans, dealing with my injury recovery. I remember there were definitely times like I was sitting like at the top of hills and like looking over Paris and like crying. Like I hated being there. I'm like, why am I here? Like, what am I doing with my life right now? So I was doing that, but then at the same time, just forcing myself to take advantage of what was given to me. So every chance I could get to train, I did it. Even if I was injured, like I would go to the gym or I would just go watch trainings or whatever. I ended up just like paying for like weekends to like stay in like in Paris, Paris. So I think like, again, found this out later. I was pretty much living in the ghetto of Paris <laughs> when I was there. I didn't know this. So like, I had no yeah. idea. Ignorance is bliss, I guess. But like, I would just take the train in and I paid for a hotel sometimes and would just like go on tours and just really explore on my own um, and take advantage of what was given to me. And that's just yeah. how I lived that portion. But I just think it runs out in the end. It just isn't enough in the end to only have football and not have like friends around or someone to consistently hang out with or, and I think that's a big part of the women's game too, is because like our girls, they were working during the day still, mm -hmm. even at this level, like there are some of the, like we had, I think we had at least six national team players, like French national team players on our team. And they're all working during the day before they come to training. And so I didn't have anyone to hang out with, really. I hung out with um, Caddy's boyfriend at the time. Like, he was great. And, yeah. like, like he was home a lot. So, like, sometimes I'd hang out with him. But, like, I didn't have friends or anyone to do things with. I didn't have a car to get around. And I just think, in the end, that just really tears you down. And then yeah. I also couldn't practice fully once I got injured. So yeah. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I had talked to them briefly. I talked to the club briefly about it. Just like, I need more trainings or I need more help during the day or physios, whatever it is. And they couldn't give it to me. So, I was, okay. I just can't stay there. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I, part of the reason I love doing this podcast is just relating to people. Um, yeah. So like when I first got to Denmark, one of the things I was most excited about was like, coming out of college where you're not always like focused on football because of course you're in school as well. It's not just right. playing. So coming out of, of school and going to Denmark, I was 
pumped about like being able to put 100% of my mind like towards football. Mm-hmm. And then after like similar timeline to you're talking like three, four months, um, again, I was similar to you. I felt like I was on the lower end. Like I felt like I was not at the level. Uh, it becomes exhausting. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it reaches a point where it, it can break you down because yep. I came to find out that um, my, you know, segues from football, like my, my time away from football is what allowed me to have such a clear head when I approached football. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want to speak to that at all, but um, yeah, those first three and a half, four months in Denmark nearly broke me down because I was just putting 100% into football and like a bad training would ruin my day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's I, that when I work with athletes for like sports psychology stuff, that's what I start with is athlete identity or athletic identity. Because when you're put in those situations, like it's all you are, it's everything you are. Cause you're away from family, you're away from mm-hmm. friends. So you're not even like, like, of course, you're still like a son, you're still a brother, everything, but they're not there. So you're not ever acting on those identities. Like you're only acting on the sports, sports identity. And because of that, if there is anything that goes wrong, you have nothing else to put your worth like in your mind on. So that was exactly it. Like if I wasn't, I, for the longest time, I had nightmares, wouldn't be able to sleep for days after games or terrible practices or something, if I let in a goal, if I made a mistake, even if it wasn't a goal, like if I did something wrong because I had nothing else to base my worth on, I had nothing, like that's yeah. all I did was play. So if that's all you're doing, of course your worth is all in that. So it's like, you yeah. have to find other avenues for your mental health, but also just to have other identities to balance yourself out because it does, it just wears you down if that's all you have. Cause that's all you're doing. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I love this, this discussion, um, but we'll kind of move a little forward. So after, after this, did you then find, um, contracts countries where you had these other avenues or, uh, how did you kind of, once you left Paris, we'll first off start like what was next, um, football wise, but like, yeah. did you then look and like make an effort to develop these other avenues Uh, yeah so right after paris i went to the spirit loved it there Mm -hmm. i was living at home i was like with my parents i was just commuting every day to to train with them and be with them um and i really loved it but i knew it wasn't like long term like i said i wasn't playing in games or everything but it was really cool to be around um and then with that became a huge agent issue. So my agent ended up turning down a lot of offers that I I was accepting um, because they weren't paying him enough. And I found all this out because of like, I was speaking, for example, there was one specific club in Spain, um, Sporting Huelva. And I had been like wanting to play with them since 2016 with Fukir. And they gave me an offer. I was like, yes. I want it. I want to be there. I wanted to be in Spain. Like that was, yes, I'm in. I'm talking to the goalkeeper coach stuff. Oh, we're so excited to get you here. I'm like, yeah, me too. I can't wait. And then we don't hear anything for a while. And I'm like asking my agent, like, well, what's the deal? Like, why am I not signed yet? Like I said, yes. Why don't I have it in front of me? And he's like, oh, I don't know. We're still waiting, blah, blah, blah. And then I get a text from the coach like a week or so later and 
he's like, I'm really sorry that this didn't work out. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, he's like, I'm sorry that we couldn't match like what you needed. And I was like, what are you talking about? I said, yes. And so that's when he told me that my agent said no to the contract and that we didn't accept. Um, and I ended up finding out after that, I, I just dug deeper and started reaching out to other people. Turns out that he had been doing this to a few different players, like telling teams that, um, they had like fallen down the stairs and like broken their legs and stuff and couldn't come out anymore. And meanwhile, just telling the player that the contract didn't work out. Yeah, it was insane. And, and you're also paying this agent like yearly, like to be your agent. So I lost thousands of dollars on this guy who was turning down contracts that I wanted to accept. And so I ended up parting ways with him, but because I was associated with him, there were a lot of teams that would come back to me. Like once I would just put myself out there and like try and get out there myself, they would come back and be like, well, are you still working with, I'll say his name, Claudio. Are you still working with Claudio? I'm like, no. And they're like, well, we don't want to, cause we don't want to work with him. Like teams refused to work with him. And then that means I got a bad rep because I was associated with him and people didn't want to deal with that. And so I was like, wow. okay. So when that happened, I had to pretty much restart my career if I wanted to play in Europe, which yeah. like I said, I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't want to play in the NWSL, but once you start traveling Europe and stuff for just to play football, you're like, yeah, why not? Like, let's go. If, especially if I'm going to yeah. actually play in the games. NWSL, I wasn't going to play in the games. I was just going to yeah. be there. So I had to restart my career and I went with a different agent that was a little bit like, he was definitely lower cost, um, but he also just was lower, not lower level, but his connections were much lower level. Yeah, they weren't- just didn't have the, the connections. Yeah, they weren't the teams that I was I was getting recruited to to start based on my level, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, so I ended up going to Kosovo after okay. the Spirit, and that was just on a Champions League contract. So, on a Champions League contract, you just sign for as long as you're making it through Champions League. So once you lose or once you're out of Champions League, then your contract's done. Um, really? So I signed I've just for that, just that. to get exposure. Say it, Anne. I've never, I've never heard of, oh, of a really? contract like that. That's maybe it's. I'm, I think it might be bigger in the women's side because with countries like that, and I mean, since then they've adjusted how. The women's the women now work just like the men in Champions League, but before they really didn't. So, if you were like like in Kosovo, if you were the best team, you automatically made it into group stages of Champions League instead of like the like competing <laughs> to get into group stages type thing. Um, yeah. So, their team was like obviously stacked to play against other Kosovo teams, so they won no matter what. But then they obviously yeah. aren't good enough to play against like sporting Portugal, like that was one yeah, of the teams okay. we played against. We played against MTK, Hungary, like all these other teams that are clearly better than them. So then they pay just to bring foreigners or better players in. Ringers. Yeah, exactly. They just bring in the ringers for Champions League to try and earn more money for their club. So, I've never heard this. This is, this is well, incredibly Get ready because I have been multiple times with me. <laughs> so Okay. Yeah, so I did that contract with them and they had actually ended up bringing in a goalkeeper coach and everything specifically just for me. Like he wasn't with the club because um, they knew I wasn't going to go if they didn't have good training and stuff like that, which ended up being yeah. a really 
cool coach and cool experience, I guess. Um, it, it got a little bit messy at the end, which will be funny. Actually, this is a good story. So we go into Champions League. Um, and like I said, we're playing like really top teams. I was doing pretty well, um, but we were losing. We weren't we weren't at their level. Like it was pretty yeah. obvious. Um, but in the last game, we're playing against Sporting Portugal, and the president of the club pulls me and the other foreigner, and we're like, we're literally only here to play these games. <laughs> it's the only reason we came to your club. Like, how are you gonna not play us in these games? And, and it was just the last one. And it, come to find out, like, they're obviously all talking like Albanian and they're all like, whatever. Um, I had made friends enough with some of the girls that they ended up telling me the truth. And that was that he was selling the match um, and that he didn't want us in because he knew we wouldn't sell the match. Yeah. So he wanted to, and that the girls were going to make money if they sold the match. So they, that was their incentive was that they were going to get paid. Um, and I think that the bet was that we had to lose six to nothing. Um, which is feasible. I mean, we were not very yeah, good. Okay. Um, yeah. but once that happened, man, I went off. Like I was going nuts and the president was like yelling at me and all this stuff. And I was just like, obviously I'm not afraid to express what I'm thinking, especially if I'm, I just left my home and everything to come to Kosovo to play for you in Champions League. And you're going to pull me because you want to sell a match. No. So told my um, sponsor, who was like the goalkeeper coach as well, like he was paying my salary and everything. And I told him, oh, no. yeah, I told him he like went off because he's also involved in UEFA and he like threatened the president was like, we're going to tell people if you don't play her like all this stuff you can't sell the match all this stuff um ended up like i said because i had also just created great relationships and then i'm not afraid to speak my mind they the other goalkeepers the two other goalkeepers behind me that they were going to play refused okay so we had some technical difficulties <laughs> but you froze right as you were going to say uh you were about to go off on this man okay so i did I went off. Okay. Um, and so did my sponsor. So did like everyone threatening to tell like UEFA about him if they didn't play us. Um, and then, yeah, he was going off on me and Albanians. I really don't know what he was saying at all. He's a very scary man, to be honest with you. Um, and so eventually, because I made such a fuss of it, right after warmups, the other two goalkeepers said that they refused to play. So they refused to do it. And so the coach came into the locker room and begged me to play. Um, they didn't know, the coach and the president at the time, like they didn't know that I knew that they were selling the match. Like they just thought I was mad because um, like the, just the coaching staff thought I was bad because of not playing. The girls knew that I knew and that I was mad about like, how could you be selling a match? Um, so, so the coaches weren't involved in, in the throwing of the game. I, they knew. They knew what was going on, but they didn't know that I knew what was going on because everything was being said in Albanian. Yeah. 
Yeah. So like I, the, my friends and stuff were telling me like in secret, like this is why it's happening, blah, blah, blah. And I just expressed how shitty it is <laughs> to be doing that. And so that's why the goalkeepers refused to play. Um, so I ended up playing that game. I had a really good game. I'm talking when I say these girls were throwing the match. There's some video of even other games like that. I'm learning now. I mean, when you look back at it, I'm talking yeah, like, yeah, like I'm talking, my team wasn't even on my half of the field. Like that's how bad, like it could be all the way on the outside field. My team wasn't even on my half. There were games and there's highlights of me saving like three V me, like zero help at all. And so that happened again, multiple breakaways. Like my, there's one girl that was like clearly selling it. I'm not friends with her anymore obviously. And she would like fake an, like fake an injury, but like poorly, like just like, oh, just sit down. And like, she was not good at faking anything and just like letting people go by her. And she's a really good player. She's actually very good. So it's really sad to see this happen. And so it was like, like I said, I'd be on like one corner of the 18 sprinting over to the other to like, I, I was everywhere. And I don't know how I did. It was just clearly adrenaline and anger. And I was not <laughs> I had a great game. Um, okay. So we we'll ended up, on. yeah. So we ended up um, losing five to one. And the, so one of the younger girls, um, she's amazing. And she scored in the first half. And so when she did that too, she's like, I'm not selling this match. Like this was her chance as well to prove herself. She was young. Yeah, of course. She was like 15. This is on the grand stage. Yeah. She was like 15 and she's doing great for herself now. And, um, I was so proud, like in that moment to be like, oh my God, I got through to some of these girls that like, this is like football for us. This isn't to like, just yeah. make money. Um, so yeah, so we ended up losing five to one. We ended up apparently losing the club, like $300,000 or something. And yeah, it was something crazy. And then like the sponsors, for me ended up like getting death threats from the president and stuff of the club. And um, in the end, when we were like going for our final payment, like, cause then we went back to Kosovo after Champions League and stuff. And the other foreigner didn't, she ended up just leaving, which I was kind of jealous of. Yeah. Um, and I went, cause, but I had all my stuff in Kosovo. So I had to go back. Yeah. So I went and I was there for a little bit waiting for like my final payment. I was like, if I leave, I'm never seeing this money. And I was like, I need my money. So we finally got paid. We all got paid late. Duh. They didn't have the money. Of course. We lost, we lost them a good chunk of change. Um, but in the last payment, he met with everyone individually, privately. And he hand, it was him and like this bodyguard guy. And we went up and he handed me an envelope and the bodyguard like was holding a gun. And he was like, do we have a problem? I was like, no, sir. I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, I'm out. I am on the first flight out. <laughs> yeah, I was like, we good. No worries. So, um, yeah, so I got I got in contact with the, there was like another owner, but he lived in Switzerland. So I got in contact with him. I was like, I don't feel safe. I need out. And he bought me a flight. It was like $1,500 like the next day. And I was like, I'm out. And wow. that was that. <laughs> Okay. So that's Can a cool little little story that most people um don't get exposed to. No kidding. That's yeah. uh 
you've experienced quite a bit yeah <laughs> that's yep. unreal yeah that was okay crazy. so what time of year would this have been this would have been like what august maybe yeah this was fall of 2017. okay so like yeah it was like july or yeah probably beginning of august september october right in there yeah wow okay so then you went home yeah i went home briefly um and then signed to a team in israel um okay. and went to went there uh for a year and a half but with two different teams so i spent my first year um with a team up north in hadera and that was also a cool experience um the level wasn't amazing i didn't really have much goalkeeper coaching so it took a lot of me to like make sure i'm out there practicing as much as i can um i ended up practicing with a goalkeeper coach from the men's side who was really really good i loved working with him so i was trained with a lot of both the boys and apparently that was the first time that most of them knew that there was even a girl's side to their club because like wow. the fields are so different like we don't practice on the same fields and um we're not allowed we weren't allowed on their field most of the time because they thought we would ruin it um it was kind of crazy actually there too but i ended up getting hurt and breaking my hand out of practice um there and that was about halfway through the season that i broke my hand and that's when this kind of circles back to also having something outside of football outside of soccer mm -hmm. i think israel was the first time that it really really exposed me to have a life outside of of football and that was because people in israel live like it's their last day like they okay their mentality to life is so different and they i got lucky in meeting a ton of people a lot of people that played foot volley and um met like some amazing like americans that were there but like they're also like israeli and i just fell in love with life at that point because like not only was i injured so like i couldn't even play goalkeeper i ended up playing in the field actually a few times really? yeah I got an assist, first professional okay. assist, yeah. Um, wow. So it was just fun at that point. And I just got to enjoy life a lot more and that it really showed me then that you have to have more than just football. And the reason I was still in Israel after I hurt myself um, and couldn't play was more of a screw you to the club type thing because I actually, about a week before I got injured, I asked for a transfer. Um, mm. I got an offer from a team in Finland that was really good. And I wanted to go. And it was like in the January transfer window. The team said no. Um, and that if they were going to consider it, that they would want 4,000 euros transfer fee. Well, the Finnish team agreed to pay it. They were like, okay, 4,000 euros, yeah. done. Like, we got it, we're done. And um, the team still said no. They were like, actually, no. So we went through all this stuff to get like this transfer fee, everything, and they still said no. A week later, I broke my hand. 
And oh. they were like, oh, do you still want to go to that Finnish team? I said, no. How am I supposed to go to the- I broke my hand. Like, I can't. They're like, we'll let you go now. I was like, yeah, no crap you will because I can't play. So I said no. Um, and it doesn't say in my – it never said in my contract that they could kick me out if I was injured or anything. So mm. I was, like, safe under them. Like, this was – they couldn't break the contract. There was no other reason. But they've tried to find every reason – to break my contract like they tried to say that i didn't show up to trainings and all this stuff and like obviously my teammates are on my side too everyone's like yes she did like she was right there what are you talking about (laughs) so i did everything by the book like that's not like i followed every rule made sure i showed up to everything on time did everything um but wasn't gonna leave and so was just embracing life for what it was other than like than just football so i got like to really just enjoy Tel Aviv and enjoy Israel and enjoy not having the pressure of games and stuff anymore, which was really nice. And I think that that was a a huge turning point because then at the end of that season in 2018, I tore my shoulder um, playing rugby. Really? Uh, Yeah, I went to, the season was done, okay? Season was done, but my contract was still to the end of May. So season was done, but I got an offer to go play in an international rugby mat or like tournament in Greece. And I was like, okay. So like, who's going to say no? So like, sure. So I went, tore my shoulder, which was already torn. I just like tore it again, pretty much. Um, And I was so grateful actually for the way everything kind of happened because then I came back got my surgery and everything. And that's when I started schooling for sports psychology. Um, Because I think that if I would have never learned how to have a life outside of football and then like before I got injured, like if that didn't happen, I think I would have been, it would have been way, way harder for me to deal with. But because I had that already leading up to tearing my shoulder, it was like, oh, okay. So I can just use this time to go to school and study the sports psychology stuff that I want and start coaching and see if that's how I want to do it and just enjoy life at home for a bit. So it made me more appreciative and more mindful of being present and just enjoying what's around you. And it was a hard recovery for sure. But I, all of those things like matched up kind of perfectly in, in how my career started to pan out. Okay. So how did this rugby come about? Like, where, I mean, I know you said you played rugby, obviously. So yeah. maybe you knew somebody who was playing, but how did you get invited to this tournament? I, what? I met some people when I was enjoying life after I'd broken my hand. I met some people that were on the rugby team in Tel Aviv and I would go out to practices, but obviously like for a while I couldn't actually do anything or anything like that. I was right. just there and stayed in touch with them. And then when my hand started to heal a little bit and I got back to playing, um, I also just started playing rugby with them some nights and just going to, to train and everything. And then they're like, we're going to a tournament. Like, we want you. And I was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> okay, why not? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So it was really cool. Okay. So <laughs> you tore your, tore your shoulder and you were back home. How yeah. long was this recovery for the shoulder? So... I, this is a poor decision on my part. I got to exactly five months where I got cleared to start playing again. 
and I signed immediately with another team in Israel and went back pretty much right away. Um, with the promise that, and like in the contract, obviously not just a promise, but that they were going to give me rehab and everything as well. And knew that I was still coming back from my shoulder and knew I would still need all of this. Um, and they agreed and we kind of like started that, but then I kind of went back into also just like my overtrain ways. I need to get back. I need to do it. And I was training with a really, really great, great goalkeeper coach as well. Um, that was associated with this club. Um, um, his name is Guy Solomon and he actually is like the designer of the gloves that I wear now. Or <laughs> like, he's okay. like, he's really, really amazing, but old school, like drill your body to the ground type stuff. And it just wasn't good for me anymore after like my shoulder and stuff. So in January, I made the decision that it just wasn't, it wasn't good for me. I wasn't going to be able to continue with my shoulder like that. So I needed to go back home and rehab more. Um, and so in January, they let me do that. They let me go back, rehab a little bit more. Um, I tried out for the Washington spirit again, but I was not in top form at all. I mean, I'm, I'm coming from Israel. I'm coming from a shoulder injury. And then before that, my hand was broken. So like, I really hadn't played that much or that well. Um, so I just wasn't in my top form. And so I didn't make it then. This was 2018. Um, right? 2018? No. 2019. That was beginning okay. of 2019. And then, so I rehabbed a little bit more, kept training and signed with Haukal Vikinger in Iceland in 2019. Um, had a great year on the field there. Lots of injuries, but pushed through them. Um, and because for anyone that like is listening, like Icelandic league, especially for girls, is so physical. Like I would get destroyed on like 1v1s and stuff. Like no one cared. The refs didn't care. No one cared. I mean, there were games like I wasn't walking after. It was so bad. Also, our team wasn't very good. So I was like, I'm sure you might have heard before, but uh, we got relegated that year. Um, But it was so I I loved being there. Um, And that was the first year I think I enjoyed Iceland for real, like outside of football again as well. And yeah, I just, I loved it. Besides, I mean, I feel like I want to talk about, besides the living situation that I had there, which I didn't know that in a contract, you really should write that you want a door on your room or something, or that you want a private room. Didn't um, cross my mind. I needed to say that in a contract, but um, actually, I just remember this. Sorry, my career goes everywhere. Before I actually signed with Halkel Vikinger, I went on trial with Selfos. And okay. so I paid my flight there, everything like that. I did well at Selfos, but then, and so Selfos wanted me, they said they were going to sign me. I was on the list to go to preseason with them in Spain. The day before everyone's about to leave, coach calls me in, cuts me, says they signed Kelsey Weiss and that I'm going home. And he was like, we've been talking to her this entire time. Like pretty much I was the backup plan if she didn't answer by the end of that night. And so they gave me the yes, but we're waiting till the end of the day for her. Um, And last minute she said yes. So they cut me. 
It was also the year that WOW Airlines decided um, they were going to be bankrupt and close. Yeah. So I couldn't afford a flight home. Um, and everyone was going to Spain and I was in Selfoss and they said I needed to be out of the apartment. And like, just, yeah. So what happened was I ended up calling the, an ex-board member of Filker, who I bonded with really well and I love her to death. Um, and she ended up taking me in for about a month while I, I went on trial with Grindavik, didn't really, wasn't really feeling it. Um, and then that's when Hal Vikinger asked me, like messaged me on Facebook asking me to come out. I had no idea I was even in Iceland and I just happened to be there. So that's how that kind of went down. Um, so that's how I ended up at Halkow. And so I, yeah, I pretty much was paying my way until I found that club as well. Wow. Okay. Which is crazy to think about. I forgot all about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then after Halkow Vikinger, I wanted to stay actually, but the clubs decided to split. Um, and the Vikinger coaches and stuff, we were talking a little bit, but they didn't really, in the end, they were just kind of like stringing me along and didn't sign me. Um, and Halkow was starting really, really low. So they didn't have any money to give a foreigner because they're the ones, I think they started in like the third division or something to like work their way up. Mm -hmm. So um, they couldn't afford for me to stay. So after that, um, I, like I said, I was kind of waiting for Vikinger to like make the actual offer and they never did. So when it came to like December, 2019, um, I was talking to FAO, FH in Iceland. And then I was also mm -hmm. talking to a Spanish team. Um, okay. I am AEM and then 2020 happened. So everything was getting delayed, delayed, delayed. So I ended up signing, like FHAO didn't have any money towards the end. Cause then like when, with everything with COVID, they were just losing money. Yeah. Didn't have enough for their coaches. Didn't have enough, like that. Didn't have enough for me to feel comfortable living in Iceland, I guess is really it. Like yeah. it would have been fine, but, um, I probably wouldn't have like saved any money. Um, yeah. So I decided to sign with Spain, but then they were, they were hit really hard with COVID as well. So everything got delayed to, for me to like show up in July or June or July. It got delayed until about August, end of August, beginning of September. Um, so in the meantime, I had just been training and paid to go down to Austin um, to play with like, because Austin apparently COVID didn't exist. And so they were still <laughs> playing and, um, so then when I eventually went to Spain 2020, it was definitely an experience because we were still under like lockdown rule type stuff. And um, it was really crazy, but I, it was so cool to me. I loved being, I loved the training. I loved the girls. I loved the culture. Um, we all lived in like pretty much three apartments, like right on top of each other type of thing. So we all like lived in the same place. And it was really great until I got injured and they pretty much refused to treat me. They did just enough where if like they did, they let me see a doctor 
but the doctor was like, oh, nothing's really wrong. Like, so we'll just give you a cortisone shot. So they did just enough to like follow the contract where it wouldn't be a breach of contract. But when I told them, okay, the cortisone shot isn't working. Um, I need to see more people. They're like, yeah, 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 we'll do it. And like, it, like three, three more weeks would go by. So eventually I had to say like, I'm not practicing anymore or playing until you let me see someone. And the way I did that was I went into my last game and I knew it was my last game. I was like, I'm going to play my heart out. Cause I had something deep inside me. I like, I thought I was going to tear my ACL because once you hurt, it was my ankle. It was my left ankle. So like once my left ankle got hurt, then my knee popped. Like it just like works your way up because you're playing through it. Yeah. Um, and it was the same knee I had torn back in 2015. So okay. I was like, something's wrong. And I was going into the game thinking I'm going to tear my knee. I think we're in Bilbao. No, we might have been in Bilbao at this time. So like it was a really good team. We were like, it was a really big game. I was fully ready to just sacrifice my body and like, this is it. I'm going to play like it's my last game ever. And I had an amazing game, end up saving a PK. Like we tied, I think, one to one um, and got like player of the match and everything. And then after the game, I told him, I was like, I am not playing anymore until you let me see another doctor and get me testing done. I was like, I'm not doing it. And that was that. And then pretty much they left me on my own after that. Really? They, they, I didn't practice. I guess they thought eventually I would give in. Yeah. Um, but they would just send me to the gym and they would have someone come watch to make sure that I was working out. And that was it. No physio. The physio said that she wasn't working with me, um, that the club told her not, that she, she, she couldn't do anything for me, so she wasn't going to do it. Um, I don't blame her because she was very young. And so I know yeah. that she was just going off of what she was told from the club. But yeah, they weren't taking care of me. And then um, in the end, I just eventually just had to be like, I'm leaving. Like you, I, I knew something was seriously wrong with my ankle, especially. And I was just feeling really unhealthy, really sick. I was so skinny. I was like, 115 pounds I'm like 5'8 so like I would like zero muscle like I was just because I couldn't work out I couldn't do anything yeah. um I just felt really really sick and my leg was hurting all the time um so I just told him I'm leaving that's it so we had like one final meeting the coach was really mad the coach yelled at me like a million times and said that this was my fault and blah 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 and um the whole time as well the the club wasn't telling the media that I was injured. They were, I just wasn't playing in games and the media was always questioning why I wasn't playing and everything like that. Yeah. Um, and then even in the end, when I left, they told everyone that I left for personal reasons and didn't say that I was injured or anything like that. Um, but I'm happy that I stood up for myself. Cause once I got home, I got checked out within like two weeks. Cause that's just better here when you're actually yeah. you know, you need to see someone. Um, mm -hmm. and I ended up needing full ankle reconstruction. Um, oh, I had wow. bone spurs, my ligaments were stretched, my tendons that are supposed to be like still and like locked down in a part of your bone. They like weren't locked down. They were just moving all like and rubbing against my bone the whole time. Wow. Um, okay. and then I also needed knee surgery to fix my meniscus. 
So I got ankle and knee surgery beginning of 2021. And yeah, so I'm glad that I stood up for myself because I knew that I needed it. But um, that's when um, I like rehabbed that entire year, 2021. And then I got an offer to go to Cyprus on a Champions League contract again, uh, which was amazing again. Uh, Good money and cheap living in Cyprus. And we there was like, again, 10 of us in a house together. It was just like college dorms type stuff. And they took care of us really great. They knew my situation. They knew my ankle and my knee, um, which I don't recommend anyone doing, by the way, an ankle and knee surgery at the same time. It's not ideal. That sounds brutal. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't my smartest moment. Um, (laughs) The rehab did not go as planned, but um, yeah, so it was a great season, great year. I did have a lot of pain going through it, but it definitely lit the spark in me again that I wanted to keep playing. Um, and it was really cool to just play against, like we played against the Russian team and uh, Ukrainian team, and we were just so good. It was just, it was a lot of fun. I was so happy to be there and and do it and experience it again. And then after that's when I decided I wanted to keep playing went to Haukau in Iceland 2022 and signed for two years with the option of three. And I was so happy to be back with Haukau. Like I had been wanting to be back for so long. Um, And they treated me really well. They did great. But once I started like practicing every day again, because even after Cyprus, I was having a lot of ankle and knee issues, just like pain if I played too long or um anything like that so once i got into Iceland and was training every single day um i they helped me a lot with the physio and i got a lot of treatment but by the end of season i was just i had to get another ankle surgery and oh really yeah so at the beginning of this year i got ankle surgery again to kind of like fix it and i feel great now and when i came back to Haukal this year i felt amazing Actually, I was like really surprised that we all were like even our coaches and stuff were like, wow, okay, this is, this is a pleasant surprise because the whole time I'm like, I'm not good. Like, I'm just warning you, good name. Like, I'm not good. And he's like, it's okay, we'll deal with it. And then I was perfectly fine. Um, so it was good. And then I ended up leaving actually because of some disagreements of contract stuff. So not because of my body. And then that's when I decided I wanted to retire. Just wasn't okay. working anymore. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, quite the career story. Yeah. Um, how does your How does your body feel now? Then I actually feel really good. Um, I can do whatever I want when I want, and then I just listen to my body now. I think that's like we lose that so much as like professional athletes. You're like, you have to go train today. Like, you don't have a choice when your coaches schedule you to train. Like, that's when your training is and if you're feeling a little bit off, you still kind of have to push through. It's only when you're really injured that you sit out um, or do something like, especially I know like you guys have like a good um, like strength coach and stuff that's there a lot and things like that. But we were splitting our strength coach with every other club or every other team in the club. Yeah. And like, you don't have that attention all the time Mm -hmm. and so it's hard to regulate when you should chill and when you should 
like push through and stuff. And yeah. I mean, I definitely did that like my last year, like with how cow I, they told me to rest way, way too much. And I was like, no, I'm not resting. Like, even a preseason, like we were playing a game and I'm like, I have to play like popped my knee. Um, I tore my, or I like pulled my something in my knee, um, towards the end of season last year. And the next day was like one of the most important games against FL. And I, like, we all thought I tore my ACL. It was so bad. Okay. And I ended up playing in the game and had an amazing game. Like okay. we, we ended up tying zero zero, I think. So it was like a crazy game, but then I'm like screwed the rest of the season. So it's like, you can find that balance of push, but I'm 31. Like I can't keep yeah. doing that. So finding that balance for me now has been really, really good. So the people want to know, are the boots hanging on the wall or have you thrown them out or are you hanging on to a, They're a here. last little thread of hope that, that's, They're... that a lifeline comes? I told myself and I tell everyone like um, this year, if an amazing offer came up for like a dream team or like a ton of money or something, I would listen. Like I'm not like, yeah too far off but um honestly i haven't really had the urge to train i haven't okay. haven't been missing it that much um training in the football sense yeah training in the football okay. sense like i don't really i haven't i usually crave just like catching a ball or like working yeah. on my footwork and there's sometimes i feel like doing it and then i was like nah that's okay like i don't really miss that daily grind of what being okay. a professional takes um mm -hmm. I've started to play tech ball, like with the curved table and you play with your feet. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like, it's really, it's growing here in LA. So we've created a team um, of like a few professionals and we train two to three times a week. We have a tournament this weekend actually. So I'm like training that more. It's so much easier on my body. <laughs> like it's insane. Okay, interesting. But yeah, so I've just found different avenues. I'm like not opposed to, playing but i'm not really that interested but you you seem like more at, at peace with the decision at least yeah for sure and i think that came with going this year and knowing that i worked my body and i trained my body to get back to where it would need to be to play um yeah. is a sense of satisfaction of just like knowing but i'm also just at peace because like i'm so tired of dealing with the business and the contract side of things and having to work extra for money when I, you also want me to be a professional player. Like yeah. it, it's just draining to have to have three jobs all the time. And being a professional athlete is taxing and like yeah, mentally and physically all the time. And then you also have to be on your feet coaching like three different teams and then like have your own online gig that you can do as well. It's like, it's just not worth it anymore. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I think we'll kind of wrap up the journey side. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing this uh, wild ride. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, like I, when I was researching, I saw like, you know, nine countries and like 14 teams and, mm -hmm. and what, nine, nine or so years. But, um, you know, to hear details and crazy stories is incredible. And yeah. of course, entertaining, but also informing. So... <laughs> We appreciate you sharing those stories. Yeah, it's been insane, but definitely worth it. 
Yeah, awesome. What, would you have any any last advice to, you know, younger players who are either looking toward college or maybe playing after college? I would say first make sure that you really want it. Um, really like work on figuring out what you want, not where like pressures from other people are coming or um, what you think you should do, but then also don't be afraid to ask for help of people that have gone through it. They know better than you, like anything like that with contracts, with choosing a college, with anything like that. Like it's worth knowing as much information as possible before you make a decision like going to a certain school or like going to a different country or anything like that. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining. Thank you. If you made it this far, I just want to thank you. I just know I appreciate each and every listener. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this particular show and this particular guest. Uh, if you're enjoying the show as a whole, I just ask you to leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, and then be sure to pass this on to a friend, colleague, teammate, uh, or an aspiring footballer that you may know. Uh, and again, I just want to thank you for listening to the Full 90 Podcast.